Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, June 19th. Moods, griefs, and sorrows of every kind cannot be reasoned away. They have their own reality and their own magnetic attraction. The only way to cure them is to change your level of awareness. When I was young, I used to drive moods and sorrow away by concentrating, once I did so very fiercely, at the point between the eyebrows. When Swamiji says, when I was young, I used to drive them away, what he meant by that was that as he got older, he didn't have them. So it wasn't like he found another method, he just transcended them because he had shifted his level of consciousness to such an extent that um, he wasn't affected in that way. It's very important to understand that um, human experiences, he was still completely engaged in the human experience. But to to have uh, a deep feeling, even a deep feeling of grief or disappointment or um, compassion or distress for others, it doesn't have to, it, it doesn't have to pull your consciousness down. You can perceive it from the divine perspective. You have to think of it like that. Divine Mother knows that we're suffering and God feels our suffering but the but the divine the nature of the divine is not affected by the fact that we're suffering but mass as master put it divine mother weeps for us she she feels our suffering she cares about our suffering but she does it from the perspective of knowing it's a necessary stage that we all have to pass through So someone like Swamiji, at least as far as I understand it, and of course part of this is me just understanding as best I can a higher state of consciousness from a lower one. So this is how I look at it. But I used to imagine that he never experienced a lot of the feelings that went through me, but I was wrong. I gradually came to understand that I was wrong, that he did experience them. It was was like... um, being in, well, I'll put it like this. I believe it's in Norway. They have an expression which I've always enjoyed. They were talking about the fact that no matter what the weather, the children go outside and play because in such a northern clime, they can't wait for the weather to get good before children are allowed to go outside to play. So they just go outside to play. My friend in, who grew up in England also talked about wherever she lived. She lived in Manchester. And there was often very stormy weather. She talked about when she was a small child, the wind being so strong that you could lean against it and not fall over. And as little children, they used to do that. They used to sort of stand in the strong wind and just try to lie down, and the wind would keep them up. Um, So in Norway, they have the expression that there's no such thing as bad weather. There's just bad clothes. (laughs) Which actually, when you think about it, is really kind of fun. And so every time, you know, I'm inclined to think the weather is bad. No, it's not bad weather. I just need to be dressed in the right clothes. And people who enjoy winter sports, for example, um, 
that's how they feel about it. They just go outside properly dressed and they go into the, the snow and the wind and the ice and it's all just fun for them because they've got the right clothes on for it. So in a, in a, a spiritual sense, in terms of really um, knowing, having the right way of relating to life's experiences, the clothes that we wear are basically the attitude and the consciousness that we bring to life rather than a, an actual inability to stand in the storm or, a, or a putting our head under the pillow and just pretending the storm isn't happening. What I saw Swamiji capable of doing, and I use him as the example because he was a real practical everyday example for me, is that he, he stood in the storms of life. The winds howled around him, the blizzards were there, the, you know, the horizontal rain was happening. In other words, disappointment, betrayal, death, sickness, suffering, either you know, through his own body, in his own reality, or in people he loved. And of course, he loved everyone. And he loved many people very deeply. And the storms howled. But he was dressed for it. He was dressed for it inside himself. I remember when a woman uh, came, just as it happened, it was a woman, but he was giving a satsang, and it was in India, just as it happened again. And she had traveled some distance in order to meet him. And she was telling him about these very difficult circumstances that she was going on in her life, and things were going badly here. And she was there was a, a, a plaintive tone, a complaining tone is actually the word I want to use in the way she was talking about it. And Swamiji said to her, well, yes, that's true. These are the things that happen in life. And he was sympathetic. It was unfortunate. People were treating her badly. The details escaped me. But it was a not untypical human drama. And he said, but because you're a disciple, because you have a guru, because you understand the spiritual path, because you practice Kriya, you understand that this is karma that is being worked out and you understand, I'm using more words than Swami did, but this is what he said, you understand that there's a higher purpose to life and that difficult those these experiences are. They're sent by God and you're protected by Guru and you're going to be, you're going to learn what you need to learn in order to become free. As, as I said, he didn't use quite that many words, but that's what he said to her. And her response was, but it was so hard. And then she would just basically repeat it. So then he would again try to encourage her to lift her consciousness a little bit above the experience. And the third time she um, began to whine again in a voice very similar to the one I use, but I won't repeat it. He just you know, said, I'll pray for you and just left it because there was nothing else he could do because it was the truth. There was There was... A solution at hand. There was the, the there was a windbreaker at hand that would not in any way have stopped the storm, because the storm was karmically ordained. It was simply necessary for whatever karmic balance she had to go through. She was going to have to go through that experience. He couldn't stop it. In India, especially, but I have noticed it in many other places. Um, people look at someone who they perceive to have spiritual understanding or spiritual power and and basically they hope for a miracle. They're hoping that the saint can provide a shortcut. And sometimes 
um, a great master, will mitigate the karma with a touch. I mean, there's many, many, many stories about that. In the Bible, uh, among many other places, there's the wonderful story of Jesus moving through a crowd of people and many people were jostling him. And then this woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, ill with a hemorrhage for 12 years, she came up behind Jesus. She, she touched the hem of his garment. She didn't even touch his physical form. She touched the hem of his garment and instantly that 12-year cycle of illness ended right then. And when she touched the hem of his garment, Jesus turned and said, Who touched me? And the disciples around him said, Sir, I mean, what kind of a question? There's all these people around you. You're being jostled by this huge crowd. I mean, everybody's touching you. And then Swam, uh, Jesus, without any giving any credence to their explanation, said simply, Someone touched me. I felt power go out from me. And then somehow attention was directed toward this woman, and she confessed that it was indeed she who had touched him, and in that moment she had been healed. So it is possible. If the karmic balance is just so, the touch of the saint can shift it completely um, into a, a, a state of much greater freedom. But of course, she had tremendous faith and and was prepared and had developed within herself the faith and the magnetism to draw that power from him and had the complete openness in order to be able to shift, have her energy be shifted by his grace. Unfortunately, many other people, many people, are... are well, I, the shortcut is the word that I want to use. I, I, you know, this is too hard for me. I want it to be easier. It's not a divine acceptance. It's just I want it to be easier, and God knows that's natural. I, one of the more absurd and, in retrospect, both amusing and embarrassing exchanges I ever had with Swamiji was once when I was. It was all just too much for me, and I remember saying to Swamiji, and and I was weeping with frustration when I said it. I said, if life weren't so hard, it would be easier. <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time, is all I can say. And it was, it was a magnificent moment. Even in, even in the moment, as upset as I was, I appreciated it. Swami was, Swami's face was completely impassive. It's like nothing registered on his face. He just he was he was kindly he was sitting and he was looking at me while I was talking and I said that and it, he heard it because he'd heard everything else I said but he it's it's like he he wouldn't he wouldn't dignify that response that comment by even taking it in he basically allowed it to just float in the ether between us and you know I had to sort of look at him hearing my words and he looked lovingly and patiently at me and let me hear my words, and they just kind of hung in the air between us for a period of time. <laughs> I actually think the phone rang at that point, and he had warned me in advance that normally he would never take a phone call during a conversation. He didn't allow himself to be interrupted, but he had told me that there was an important phone call from a doctor, and if the phone rang, he was going to have to take it. And my belief is the phone rang right at that point. 
<laughs> and then essentially the interview was over because there was nothing to say after that. And that was what that woman was saying to Swamiji. You know, if life weren't so hard, it would be easier. He said, yes, but you understand. You have the potential at least to understand. And, th- and, th- and those are the right clothes. And now Swami's giving us even a, a further level. As you see, it's all on your level of consciousness. It's not that something tragic has not happened to you. It, it, another way of thinking about it, which I, I often find very helpful, it's all, it's all in your perspective, which is easy to say, but if something difficult happens to you and, it, and you and it becomes, let's say, you take both your hands and you put both your hands over your eyes, keep your eyes open, but cover both your eyes with your open palms, then all you see is blackness. Now, what's covering your hands, your eyes, what's creating the blackness is no bigger than the size of your palms. But when you bring those palms and lay them right up against your face, then you're absolutely, your entire experience of life is black. But if you extend your palm out in front of you, depending how long your arms are, but even if you extend them out in front of you, if you look at your open palms, you actually see the whole world behind it. And you can actually look at the whole world, you can reverse it. You can look at everything within your sight and still see your palms, and your palms haven't changed. They're exactly the same size. But suddenly, there's a world of light, there's a world of other people, there's a world of other activities, depending on what's in your immediate environment, there's an entire universe. Your palms have not changed. Let's say say your palms are painted absolutely black. The black element of your life has not changed. It just depends on how how, how much you allow it to obscure all other perceptions. And so for Swamiji, when awful things happened, because awful things happen, they happened. His palms went blank, black. But he, he, he knew enough not to bring those palms up to his eyes and cut out all the light. So that it was there. It had to be dealt with. It had to be felt. It had to be acknowledged. It had to be lived through. The storm was going to rage through you. The snow, the blizzard would happen. But I was pro- I'm properly clothed. Because instead of going out, you know, in my bare feet, I, I, I clothe myself in, well, the garment of light, is what Master called it. He said, your religion is not, <clears throat> you know, what you appear to be outwardly or what you do outwardly. <clears throat> your religion is the garment of light that you wear in your heart. And that's exactly what it is. We wear this garment of light, which is who we are, and how do we get back to that. Well then, Swami here is referring to the metaphysics of it. The, the, in, in <clears throat> if thine eye be single, thy whole body will be full of light, is how Jesus put it. The single eye of spirit is where the divine light lives. So when the black palms obscure the light, extend your hands and go to the light. And you'll find that circumstances may be the same, but your relationship to them is entirely transformed. So Swami said, Moods, griefs, and sorrows of every kind cannot be reasoned away. They have their own reality and their own magnetic attraction. The only way to cure them is to change your level of awareness. When I was young, I used to drive moods and sorrow away 
by concentrating, once I did it so very fiercely, at the point between the eyebrows. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.